Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Our topic today of, of really taking refuge, of feeling the love of community, our ability to come here together and practice together and share this moment, um, the teachings which have been so precious to me and wonderful in our lives, I and um, reflecting on um, our capacity in this lifetime to awaken Buddha nature. So we'll talk a little bit more about that. So I'll start the talk today um, with a poem called Bugs in a Bowl. Hanshan, that great and crazy wonder-filled Chinese poet of a thousand years ago said, we're just like bugs in a bowl, all day going around, never leaving their bowl. I say, that's right, every day climbing up the steep sides and sliding back, <laughs> over and over again, around and around, up and back down. Sit at the bottom of the bowl, head in your hands. Cry, moan, feel sorry for yourself. Or look around, see your fellow bugs. Walk around, say, hey, how are you doing? Say, nice bowl. <laughs> So everything about the Dharma, right, about the teachings is in that poem. It's very easy to be like bugs in a bowl <laughs> in our lives, um, doing, doing, and more doing, <coughs> ruminating, telling our sad story, running from task to task to task, getting lost in our thought, in our mind, not really in our body or here, with not seeing what's going on. Uh, just being lost in this autopilot state and um, missing being here right now, the beautiful presence of right now. And a lot of the mindfulness practice is, uh, whoops, look around. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Say, hey, how are you doing? Nice bolt, right? You know, <laughs> there are people here. There's presence here. So let's look at that a little bit more. Um, so um, I went back to... Um, Tara Brock's book, Three Refuges, True Refuge. Has anybody read the book? It's a beautiful, beautiful book. And um, she talks about this dilemma that we're in, of um, being so busy in life, so caught up in thoughts and ruminating and thinking that um, we miss this beautiful capacity to be present and awake and aware in this moment. 
momentary awareness. Um, and a lot of us, myself included, we want to meditate, we want to practice mindfulness, we want to be present in the moment. We get these glimpses of the sweetness of presence, of being here, of awareness. Uh, since we do it with mindful eating, we realize, oh, the food tastes really good. You could taste the textures. Mm -hmm. Or you're walking around and you look at a bird, a flower, nature, and with mindful presence, it's just so beautiful. You really see it clearly, the color, the shape. Or um, maybe you've done some walking meditation and you notice how beautiful it is to walk slowly and be present. Um, so we get a glimpse of how sweet and rich a mindfulness practice is. And we want more of it. But do we really see it with its true value? Do we really value this as a refuge in life? As presence being a place to dwell and recharge, refuel, and really um, know the sweetness of it. And uh, you know, take that moment and think about how you find present moment awareness, this moment now, how you drop into that stillness and allow yourself to be present in awareness without that mental story going on. Da 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 Right, how do we do that in our lives? How do we get there? What gets you there? And is that value to you? Is that a place where you rest? So, um, it's this ability to be present, which is our natural state, with a very clear comprehension coming out of the tangle of ourselves and this busyness. Um, it's, we gather that attention to be here now with other people, with ourselves, with this body, with nature, with, what, with what's happening around us. And um, so Tara wrote this book um, out of having a very difficult illness, apparently, very painful, not knowing if she would recover, um, quite chronic. And she began to ask herself, in the face of difficulty, and we all have problems and difficulty in our lives. Everyone has some suffering, some form of loss, suffering, illness, um, people dying, uh, financial difficulty, all sorts of stress that we have. What do we really take refuge in? Right? What's, what do we really value? Where do we go for the strength um, to live with a fullness, a richness in life. And um, traditionally in Buddhism, there are three refuges. We call them the three jewels. Who knows what they are? Dharma, Sangha. <laughs> right? Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. Um, and when you go on retreat, for those of you who have gone on retreat, you formally take refuge at the beginning of the retreat. Um, 
So the Buddha would be your Buddha nature. Um, a lot of people take refuge in the image of the Buddha, um, in those who have walked before us who have woken up or who are, we call them enlightened, awake. And um, some people have um, teachers, not just the Buddha, whoever you would see as a great teacher. And um, here, the ability to take refuge is um, in the fact that someone walked before you and woke up, right, found this awakening, and that by this human being being able to do that, in, we also have the ability to do that, this ability to be awake, to awaken. And that's what the Buddha represents, that you also have this Buddha nature. And she talks about um, the Buddha as an outside refuge, an image that we can carry of someone who's awakened. But the inside refuge is being awake, being here now. That that's actually a refuge for us, for this beautiful um, capacity that we have in our lives to drop down in silence and have that nourish us at any moment. And I know all of you have had those beautiful moments, nod your head, you remember them, where all of a sudden things got still, you dropped down and this lens widened and the heart opened. It, maybe you were looking at something in nature, maybe you were with another human being, maybe you were just still, right? Maybe the chattering left or your story left, your tearful story left. We all know those moments. We cherish them. But then, you know, do we cherish them as really a path of refuge, as a true way to reside in life amidst the struggle? And she talks about um, the false refuge that we take, the false refuges. And I, I, don't, I wouldn't call it false, because for me, chocolate ice cream is a refuge. And especially if it has hot fudge on it, that oh, yeah. is my true refuge. It is a true refuge. Always. Um, always. As a matter of fact, uh, sometimes on New Year's Eve, for, instead of, I would, if you ask me, we should all have a hot fudge Sunday. That's how I would start the year. For some, right? So I wouldn't call it a false refuge, because these things are great. If you buy something great on sale that you love to wear, I mean, it's thrilling. This is our culture, right? If you can get a show and download it on Netflix that you love and have a binge on it, for, right? You watch episodes. I mean, these things are our true refuges, right? So I would relabel it as a shallow refuge. It's going to come and go, right? And the thrill will only last so long. But our culture, we hunt after these shallow refuges or false refuges. We make, um, we live our lives around the false refuge. We're always ducking and hiding under, you know, hiding and ducking with them, right? What's the next podcast? How should I go on my Twitter or my Facebook or Pinterest? I mean, everybody I know loves Pinterest. They're always on Pinterest for things. Um, we're so busy all the time in these shallow refuge. So we miss being here and present. You get this? We, we miss the true nourishment from within. 
right? We're, we're blocking the light that is from within, from stillness, by getting it outside of ourselves, by looking for it outside, and it's already here. Yeah. It's already here. That's what she's talking about. So um, just staying for a moment on um, what is your false refuge or shallow refuge? Because I don't think it's false. Like I said, hot fudge, that's real for me. <laughs> a good sale at Nordstrom's Off the Rack, I will admit, it's good. Um, and that's what life is like. But to stay in this is to lose the light of the moment. Um, when I'm in my story of my hard and difficult life, I have a good one. <laughs> it's very good, and some of you do too, right? And when I'm, it's, I'm ruminating, and I'm just in this drama of what I need life to be, or how I want life to be, or how I want people to treat me, right? How I want them to act around me. I'm in this, uh, I'm not here for life. I'm really not here for this peace and this stillness. I'm caught. I'm snared. So what are our shallow refuges? Um, sense pleasures, right? Buying, getting, sensuality, sexuality for the sake of it. You know, fill me up, fill me up, fill me up. Anybody get into the fill me up mode? If you're in that mode with a credit card? <laughs> that has a big limit, whoops, right? Um, temporary gratification, needing other people to be a certain way so we could feel okay. Ooh, yeah, that's a good one, huh? The codependency trap, um, demanding of ourselves and others, wanting life to be different, judging, um, Becoming your to-do list and putting more on the list. Mm -hmm. Making yourself a great project. I will be better in 30 days, 90 days. I'm <laughs> going to do that thing. I'm going to buy that thing on TV on the infomercial, infomercial and clear up my skin and do a million mm -hmm. butt moves or whatever it is you've got to do, right, <laughs> to feel better. All that stuff. Um, and some of it's really okay. I happen to like the Better Me Project, I, I think there's some benefit to wanting to do better. But it obscures what's really here. Um, and um, even our in our interpersonal world, uh, we get caught relationally quite a bit. Um, it's easy to get caught with other people and not just be with other people, present with other people. I need you to like me. I need you to think I'm competent. I'm in a judgment about you, or I feel like you're judging me. I want something from you. I want the relationship to be a certain way. I want to look a certain way with you. I want you to respond to me in a certain way. That's snared up. We're lost in the relationship, and we're not here in the relationship, just being in the relationship. So just taking a moment, maybe closing your eyes, just having a moment, what's your shallow refuge? What blocks you from being here? Taking a couple moments, just thinking, where's, where do you go to? What's your go-to? 
to avoid landing in this moment. Just sitting with that for a moment, noticing what arises for you. It'll just be a very powerful practice in itself of what's my go-to? So present moment awareness, Buddha nature. Do we connect that that's Buddha nature? Yeah? So opening your eyes. Anybody want to throw out a few? My, my major thing is food. Mm, that's a good one. I like I, that one. Yeah. I love to eat, and I eat things I should not be eating. So like dark chocolate. That's one of the things. Um, sitting in front of the television. Martini, three olives. Yeah. <laughs> Red wine. Red wine. Uh-huh. Come on, yeah. Anybody else? Having a project, like planning a trip. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, I was thinking uh, of things I've been doing, like uh, one show I'm binging on, but that's not it. I was thinking that I get out of myself when I have the thought about the next thing I've got to do. Yeah. Go ahead. Daydreaming. Mm -hmm. Anybody else? Reading. Mm -hmm. Doing things for others to get praise. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, I thought of something. I have a, I noticed it the other day that I do I prefer to do service to my family and everybody else than do take care of myself at home. And none of these really need a value judgment. They're, on one level, they're very good coping mechanisms. To get through life, you should have a good show on Netflix, Dark Chocolate, <laughs> and help other people in your family. I mean, you know, it, they're, in terms of value, they're fine. Um, but what we're pointing to is do we value stillness and do we cultivate it? Is that your refuge too? And can we allow that to be your refuge? So I'll give you um, some examples of that. Um, one story I really like is um, a friend of mine who's an old-time practitioner, and he was in a relationship with this woman for many years, and um, she's not from this country, and it became very clear that she had to go back to her country um, family, retirement, health, and, you know, just so many things were not working out. Money, you know, just, they couldn't stay together, living together. Um, and they decided it was for the best that she go back to her country. And he was bereft, just absolutely bereft, really sad. It was really hard to be alone again at a certain age, and he felt overwhelmed by his grief. And then um, he... He said he remembered he got into the shower and he had this thought, how am I going to be alone again? How am I going to be alone again? And um, because he had this practice behind him, he just 
dropped into the present moment of the shower, water, steam, heat, skin, standing, being. And he realized that the grief will be there, the loss will be there, but the present moment, this awareness of allowing himself to stop the story of it and to be with the sense of the moment was nurturing, sustaining, fulfilling, calm, ease, peace, aliveness, present, the bittersweetness, the heartness of it, the being with all the emotion, just being with it as it was. That would be a great example, a good example of awareness as a refuge, the suchness of it, whatever it is. If it's even if it's sad, right? The suchness of that, that that stillness is a nurturance to get through whatever it is we have to get through. And that's like a you know mini mini awakening, mini nirvana or mini nirvana. You know that ah here, here now I'm awake and I've dropped my story enough. I've let go of the story to just be with it. So I'm letting go of it to just be in this moment as it's unfolding, standing in the shower here. So we can give ourselves more of that. Um, about 40 years ago, I was working in the botanical gardens in New York. And uh, this is 40 years ago. There was, there was a little old lady um, she's from Taiwan, I came to find out. And she'd walk into the gardens at 6.30 in the morning, 7, and uh, my friend who opened up the gardens would see her, and she would, by herself, do Tai Chi in the garden. And back then, we didn't even know what that was. We were like, what is she doing? So he tried to go up and approach her, and she would not talk to him because he was a man. And so she, he sent me, and that's how I got to meet her. And she did talk to me. But she had no English, really. And um, she agreed that we would meet her every morning, and this is in New York, at 6.30, quarter to 7, and we'd do Tai Chi. She'd teach us. We didn't even know what Tai Chi was. Wow. And we did it in rain, snow, thunder. <laughs> she was serious. You showed up for Tai Chi. Uh, and so I did this with her for a few years, and we became friends. And I came to find out that she and her husband moved from Taiwan a couple of years um, before. Her children went off to America for a better life, and they made enough money to bring her. And um, so her daughter had a few kids and uh, working very hard in her husband, and they were in a small apartment um, trying to get this better life, this American dream. And she was a meditator in uh, Taiwan, and she was also did Chinese brush painting, you know, um, and she did Tai Chi. Her whole life was infused with stillness. Mm -hmm. Her whole, everything she did, and I meant to bring one of her paintings with me today, and didn't get didn't get here. But um, her the tea drinking, her cooking, um, the beautiful food we cooked together. My job was to teach her English, and her job was to teach me how to be still. <laughs> and uh, she did it through cooking, through tea. 
um, through how she did her Chinese brush stroke, the art itself spoke of stillness, the creativity. It spoke of emptiness. You know, it wasn't about, I gotta get this picture down of the mountain of rose, right? It was, I'm present in this moment with my paintbrush and the colors, and out of stillness, something's going to emerge. And she lived her life like that because she came from a culture that understood that, a tradition that understood that, not because she was a better person. And, and she somewhat felt lost by her family, this Americanized family where mom and dad are rushing to work and the kids are rushing to things and everything is moving around her. And she, she was just like baffled by that. Absolutely, like, what are they doing? You know? um, and uh, so we took refuge in each other for a, a few years. Um, but I got to see how there were places in her life where she cultivated presence and stillness as a real stopping and being, and how beautiful that looked. I mean, the flow of her day, the beauty of the meditation, the Tai Chi, her cooking, the tea ceremony, you know, her tea, the way she drank tea was like, oh, you know. I thought the paintings, a beautiful stillness permeating this being, and her face was lit up with it. Her smile was gorgeous. It was just, you could see this cultivated peace in her life. I was just in her 70s at that point. Uh, such a beautiful being. And everything kind of permeated with that, that stillness. We, in this culture, were moving so fast, and so much is demanded of us, so much. We need sangha, this, the group energy, the teachings, to bring us to find the way to have that for ourselves, so we can take refuge in this natural beauty. And lately, thinking about her with so much to do, the to-do, everybody have a big to-do list in here, or we're mm -hmm. caregivers, or we're teachers, we give a lot, or we demand, right? Or our jobs are demanding. There's a lot for most of us on our plate, or there are health issues, or family issues, right? And so lately, I've been thinking about how it's so easy it is to get lost in this so-called list. And um, I really started to think about presence as the refuge that will uphold these big lists and tasks and things and difficulties and sufferings. Um, so I took this week particularly, but, but in general, of walking in that garden, like really walking with the silence as a way to start the day, picking that vegetable garden slowly, looking at the vegetables in the garden, petting that dog, looking at the flowers, you know, um, on and on, because you have it. No one has to give it to you. It's already there. I even went so far as I thought about uh, my mentor uh, of bringing a beautiful teapot 
filled with tea into my shower so that when I'm getting dressed and getting ready for the day, that's a moment that's usually hectic and I'm pushing to get in the car and get to work and make those phone calls, write the last email. I look at the teapot and I have a beautiful cup of tea and I'm calling, getting ready, my tea ceremony. <laughs> it's got a little multitasking to it because I am getting ready, I do admit, but it's that stopping and looking at the tea as a representative for each moment we can have that beingness, the stillness, the quality of being together, of being aware, right, of dropping in. And that would bring us to the second refuge, um, which is truth. Um, in traditional Buddhism, we call it um, dharma, the teachings, the teachings of the Buddha, seeing the way things are, understanding suffering, understanding impermanence, understanding no-self, and all the other lists we talk about endlessly, really loving the teachings. But Tarbrock had points out that could be an external representation. The internal representation is the truth of this moment, the truth without a story. You know, when I look at that teapot, and I land on it, and it stills. I'm not this human being with a checklist, running to work, having to do that. Got to get. It. I'm here. I'm now. I'm present. I'm nurtured and fed by this very moment, by being aware in this moment. That's it. I don't have to shop for it, you know, mm-hmm. or do anything. I don't have to be a better me in that moment. Mm-hmm. I don't have to do anything. It's here. I'm, it's present. It's full. Hard to do in this culture, right? We don't have the tea ceremony, right, and the Zen garden and the flower arranging and the Tai Chi. I mean, this, these are beautiful practices that have supported being and awareness and truth in the moment, letting go of who you think you are, your story. Oh, these stories are so painful, they're so heavy. It's like we're carrying around these heavy stories, you know? And, and we can get this space from them. So the second refuge would be truth. Truth in this moment. Truth of who we are, right? And the third refuge um, we call Sangha which is, to me, the most beautiful refuge. And I really, learning early in my life from, from probably my parents, but, uh, you know, first spiritual steps, of first experience of the ashram, you know, of the, the presence of beings on the path who are walking with you in the truth is precious. There's nothing more important than keeping good company and I know you want to say the word good, awakened company. Those of us with the desire, the healthy desire, or the yearning to awaken, we can't do it alone. We need that group energy to, to um, work against the fact that we fall asleep, we are in ignorance, and we're in greed, hatred, and delusion as a natural state too, right? So we need the group energy to keep us awake. We need somebody to go, hey, over here, 
bugs in a bowl, you know, right? Um, but it's also about love. It's also about the fact that our love isn't just love of life, love of self, love to awaken. It's relational. It's love of others. It's loving being loved. It's healthy relationship. It's kindness. It's loving relationships. We need that, and we, we want that in a healthy way. It's natural for us to want to connect in a very deep, real, genuine way, in a heartfelt way, and to be known that way, to know and be known, to communicate that and um, to live that way, to live a loving relationship. And so I'll give you a few more examples and then we'll, we'll stop. One of my favorite teachings happened um, on my job. I, I started to teach a mindfulness course, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy for relapse of depression. And uh, it, was, it took me six or seven years to get it going um, through all the administrative things that have to get done. And I got there, I got the first class. I was absolutely terrified, didn't know what I was doing. But OK, you know, you show up and do things and hope for the best. And uh, the room full of people who really didn't know what this was either. And we were in the second class. I'm learning the material and trying to convey it, not really knowing how this is going. And this woman shared this story that I think is um, is awakening to me. It was a very classic story that we were in the second class and they were told to meditate every day and um, we started talking about what mindfulness is. She was in Costco with her husband and she was recently fired from her job. It was a wrongful termination. She was accused of stealing something that she didn't steal. Maybe she was framed. I mean, it had a bad story. Didn't ha wasn't a very good story. And she's very worried about money, needed her job. And she and her husband were in Costco on a Sunday afternoon. Have you been in Costco on a Sunday afternoon? <laughs> Not a place for tranquility, right? That wouldn't be a place for tranquility. Like, not the top of the list. And uh, she was filled her basket. The place was packed. Her husband was irritable, as uh, most of us are in Costco on Sunday. And uh, then they stood on this long line, you know, those long lines on Sunday. And he starts to look at her basket and question her about what was in her basket, you know, and kind of be critical about it. So she already was stressed from losing her job and um, also worried about money and feeling, you know, having a depression while she was in the group. And um, she, she looked at him, and she, this anger flared up in her, almost this rage, like, why does he have to pick on me? I'm just putting stuff in my basket in Costco. What? He, I don't need him. He's so critical. Oh, I miss play. You know, and it just started. And she was getting ready to tell him off. And she stopped. And she paused. And... She took a couple of breaths and saw that this was her reactivity. Her mind was projecting and reacting, that this was her story, you know? And in Buddhism, we would call it aversion, agitation, right? That this was a reaction, and it had nothing to do with him. 
he was just as worried about money as she was. She pro he was probably just trying to save a few bucks. Can you take a few things out of the basket? Mm -hmm. And she said at that moment, she dropped into stillness in Costco. And she looked around, and um, there was this calm and ease in the middle of the baskets, the line, her husband, you know, the story about Costco. And there's just the sweetness in this moment in Costco of just like, ah, oh, you know, I'm here. I'm here. We're here. It's okay. To me, that's a very deep teaching. I don't know about you. I, to me, that's the Dharma. It's what we project. Right? And she did this beautiful thing that, you know, it's very easy to get caught in the story relationally. You're judging me. Mm -hmm. Stop judging me. You're so judgmental. Yeah. Right? But the mindfulness was there, right? This ability to drop in the moment and the truth of the moment. She caught it second class in a mindfulness class. I mean, and this is how it goes. We all have this Buddha nature. It comes anyway, anywhere, right? So she dropped, and then she could see her husband as he was. It was just a loving presence who was worried, too. And she could just be, and she smiled and said, thank you, honey. I, I hear that you're worried about how many things we have in the basket. You know, so am I. <laughs> and it was just a sweet moment. So relationally, relationally, um, we take refuge relationally when we're with someone without the story of someone, without the mind defining us, defining them. Mm -hmm. And we're just with them without a need or desire. That's also refuge, the refuge of presence being love. They all connect together. And I feel like that story, that's what happened there. Um, we'll write a book, Buddhism at Costco. <laughs> right. So I'll read you um, Paula's poem, because I thought about Paula's poem. So we did a class uh, a few months ago on mindful, um, why speech, mindful communication? And Paula was in the class, the last class, um, she wrote a poem. So that class, we were really, in some ways, trying to practice presence relationally without the story. For about a month, we did that. And it was a beautiful, it had this sweet-smelling rose in there. As we, we discovered, as we dropped our story, there was love. Naturally, there was love for the other person, an unconditional love. And the Buddha's teachings help us get to that all the teachings. So I'll read you her poem, and then we'll end. So in this space of not pushing, there it is, space. In this space, it is empty. In this pause, in this breath, in this vacancy, is ripe fruit waiting to be shared. From our tree, your tree, from the root of your soul. The whisper of knowing simply moves through you as a conduit. Your gaze guided into a direction without agenda. P.
pure receptivity. You meet wonder, mystery, spaciousness of consciousness without knowing a thing in your head or understanding. Wisdom prevails through you like the wind under the wave taking you to your next step and then the next. In this space of not pushing, there is space. In this space is empty. You can really feel that poem, huh? In this space of not pushing, it's empty. And it's right here. So, what I thought I'd do, we're, we're going on this talk, um, and, and I will um, post the poem. But I thought we would end. Would you like to do the reflections on the three refuges from Tara Brock? as a guided meditation, yeah? It's very beautiful. So getting comfortable posture, closing your eyes. So these three facets of true refuge Awareness, truth, and love come alive as we dedicate our presence to them, as we open to these three gateways. They reveal the one taste of freedom inherent to our path of awakening. This simple reflection will give you increasing access to both the outer and inner refuge. It's an invitation to rest your heart in what is true, the purity and radiance of your own essence. So we'll mentally recite these three phrases and reflect. I take refuge in awareness. I take refuge in truth. I take refuge in love. I take refuge in Buddha or Buddha nature, in Dharma and Sangha. So we'll start with mentally reflecting on and repeating the words silently I take refuge in awareness. And slowly repeating this silently, I take refuge in awareness. And as we offer these words, you might feel a resonance with a human being or a spiritual figure, maybe the image of the Buddha or another spiritual figure who expresses the qualities of enlightened awareness, of luminosity, openness, love. Can you imagine that same presence illuminating your being? 
or maybe in this moment naturally directly sensing the awakened presence that lives within you right now. You might simply ask yourself, is awareness or consciousness here? What is it like to notice presence, to notice awareness? How does your mind experience the space and light of awareness, your body, your heart? What happens as you rest your heart in what is true? I take refuge in awareness. And now begin mentally repeating the phrase, I take refuge in truth. As you offer these words, you might take a moment to recall what is precious to you about the spiritual path about meditation practice and teachings, about living a compassionate life. With this in your awareness, open without resistance to the changing flow of your moment-to-moment -moment experience, coming into the center of now, just being aware right now of sounds, feelings, sensations that are arising and passing. What is the experience of opening to life just as it is this moment, just as it is? What happens as you let go into this refuge of truth? What happens as you rest your heart in what is true? And now returning to the phrase or turning to this phrase, I take refuge in love. Just repeating, I take refuge in love. As you offer these words, notice what they mean to you. Do you feel a sense of treasuring and valuing people around you? Pets around you, family, friends, pets. Does it bring up a yearning for more belonging? Allow someone, a loved one, to come to mind. And as you sense that person's goodness or pet's goodness and dearness, notice the response of your heart. Is there warmth, tenderness, openness? And see if you can let go of any idea of other and open directly to the loving itself. And notice what happens as you relax into that loving and just being the loving. fully happens to you as you inhabit this refuge of love? What happens as you rest in your heart in what is true? 
You can take refuge in this way as part of your regular meditation practice or at any time on its own. And if you approach the practice each time with freshness and curiosity, it will continue to reveal the profound depths of your being. A few minutes, a brief contact can awaken us to this tender, sweet presence. So when you're ready, you can open your eyes. So this is um, a beautiful practice, right? I take refuge in awareness. I take refuge in truth. I take refuge in love as a practice. And um, it, it is a guided reflection that you can get on her website. If you go tarabob.com and then you do three refuges, it, you can download it. But um, this may be a nice practice for the week, just to drop in and see if you can connect, 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 connect. Or you can get a little thing of tea. <laughs> right. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.